Welcome back to the Getting Grit Podcast. I am Brad Pohl, your host, and this is where we tell the stories of sinners and saints. The first battle ever accurately recorded was the Battle of Megiddo, fought in the 15th century BC between the Egyptian and Canaanite forces. The largest battle of human history was the Battle of Stalingrad, fought between August 1942 and February 43, between Germany and the Soviet Union. There were more than 2 million troops who fought in close quarters, and there were over 1.9 million casualties. But the greatest battle in Western civilization might have been the Battle of Tours, fought near the city of Tours in 732. This battle followed two decades of Muslim conquests in Europe. The Muslim invasions had pushed east across Persia and west across North Africa through the late 7th century and into Spain and Gaul. The Frankish realm under Charles Martel consisted of north and eastern France and most of western Germany, Belgium, and the Netherlands. It represented the first real imperial power in western Europe since the fall of Rome. By all accounts, the invading Muslims were caught off guard when they discovered a large Frankish army sitting directly in their path to the city of Tours. The Franks had drawn up their forces within the hills and trees to diminish the ability of the charges of the superior Muslim cavalry. So for the first seven days, the two armies just engaged in minor skirmishes, which allowed the Franks enough time to dig in deeply. Charles's infantry, they were seasoned and battle-hardened. The Muslim commander could not wait any longer. His men were unprepared for the harsh European winter that was approaching fast. So the Muslim cavalry was now forced to charge uphill through the trees, a foolish tactical maneuver, and the disciplined Franks withstood the assaults and crushed the Muslim invaders, saving Europe from Islamic rule. Some 700 years prior to the Battle of Tours in the city of Jerusalem, the battle for all mankind took place. It began in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it was fought with holy weapons. As the temple police and guards that were roughly 400 men approached Jesus and led by the traitor Judas Iscariot. Knowing all that was to happen, Jesus asked, Whom are you looking for? They responded, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I am. Soldiers in the temple police were all knocked to the ground by his response. And Peter, having looked around and realized they were disabled, reached for his sword and asked, Lord, shall we smite with a sword? But before the Lord could answer, Peter swung down, slicing right past the head of Malchus, the slave of the high priest Caiaphas, lopping the man's right ear off. You might imagine the inexperienced Peter putting all of his strength into his attack and Malchus narrowly missing a lethal blow. However, what is notable is that both Malchus and the high priest Caiaphas were members of the Sadducees, a sect that was particularly opposed to the reality of supernatural happenings. They viewed most supernatural events of the Old Testament as myths and legends, and Jesus' ministry was overflowing with miraculous events. So Jesus reached out and supernaturally healed the slave's ear. I wonder how that story played out back in the courts of the Sanhedrin. What followed were a kangaroo court proceeding, false accusations of vicious whipping, violent crowds, spewing obscenities, cowardly leadership, and finally, Three executions by crucifixion. Jesus and a thief were crucified. 
The traitor Judas Iscariot died by suicide a few days later. An additional man who was a thief missed his opportunity for paradise and was also crucified. The hammer and the nails that took the life of Christ belong to me. How often do we see and read of these events in context outside of the warlike manner in which they occurred? Yet in the garden, it was a war for our souls that was started. G.K. Chesterton writes, Instead of looking at books and pictures about the New Testament, I looked instead at the New Testament. And there I found an account, not in the least of a person with his hair parted and hands folded in appeal, but of an extraordinary being with lips of thunder and acts of lurid decision, flinging down tables in the temple, casting out devils, and moving with the wild secrecy of the wind a being who often acted like an angry god, but always like a god. Chesterton continues, The dictation used about Christ has been and perhaps wisely sweet and submissive, but the dictation by Christ is quite curiously more about giant experiences. It is full of camels leaping through needles and mountains being hurled into the sea. Morally, it is equally terrific. He called himself a sword of slaughter and told his men to sell their coats and to buy swords. He used other even wilder words on the side of non-resistance, which greatly increases the mystery. But it also, if anything, rather increases the violence. The one explanation of the gospel language that does explain it is that it comes from some supernatural height and Behold something greater that we are in relentless pursuit of. On that Sunday morning in the gospel, the war that Jesus came to fight drew to a close. Jesus rose from the dead. The stone moved out of his way. All that was left to do was to gather us up in the lifetime that we've been given. So he called his army to come hither and sent them on a mission for this task. The task would be harsh. It would take suffering and blood, and it still requires such. It would be a mistake to think that we no longer have to fight for this agape love. The battle has been won, you say this correctly. But we remain on the battlefield, and we must still journey home. We're all sinners, and God is asking if we will allow himself, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to love us on this journey. Because Jesus allows God to love him, and the Holy Spirit allows Jesus to love him, and God allows the Holy Spirit to love him, and then the love returns. This agape love, this real deal holy field must be freely given and freely accepted. Our swords, our weapons, that we must sell our creature comforts to purchase, these holy weapons of war, it is our yes that no evil can withstand. Our yes to his redeeming grace, man's weapons, will never win spiritual battles. And life is a spiritual battle. Ain't it so? This is Gittin' Grit signing off. Blessings to you all. Dominus Obiscum. <laughs>